Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter number 12. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 12. We're on our last lesson of our series, Have Faith in God. Through faith, we could see this described in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, which we had walked through as we saw these different uh, biblical historical uh, figures exercising faith. And we learned a lot about faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see that faith is described. And we get a clear picture of what faith looks like. We've learned things about faith. We've seen its description. Now we come to the book of Hebrews chapter number 12. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 12, and notice with me in verses 1 and 2. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 12, verses 1 and 2. Notice what the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And with this, we could see here, uh, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, in verse number two, the Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith the author and finisher of our faith. Now, the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, we often call this the hall of faith chapter. And in it, we see faith described. We could see several descriptions of faith, even the memory verses that we had been memorizing together. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, this is a description of what faith is. It tells us that faith has substance. Faith has evidence. In the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, verse 6, we could see faith described again. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How is faith described here? Faith is the key that goes to God. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it's not a definition, it's a description. Faith has evidence. Faith is, has substance. Faith is a key that unlocks. Faith is, we also see throughout the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, we could see as people respond it, you would see the person through faith and the person in the action. We could see faith described also in Hebrews 11. Faith also or always produces action. True faith always produces action. There's no such thing as I have faith and nothing is done. Faith requires us to step out. Faith requires us to move forward. Faith always requires this. So in Hebrews chapter number 11, we could see faith described. 
we could see it described in several ways so we could get a handle on it. So we could have an understanding of it. We could see what God has done with it. But as we come to the book of Hebrews chapter number 12, we could see that faith is defined in Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse 2. How is faith defined? Looking unto Jesus. That is a biblical definition of faith. Looking unto Jesus. Now as we look unto Jesus, this faith is going to have substance. As we look unto Jesus, this faith is going to have evidence. When we look unto Jesus, this is what pleases God, is looking unto Jesus. As we look up to Jesus, it is also going to require us to step out by faith, to respond to who God is as we're looking unto Jesus. Your class is here. This is what faith is, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This is a great definition of what faith is. In fact, notice as it describes a little bit more in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12 and verse 1, still kind of giving uh, uh, an application. Remember in Hebrews chapter number 11, we had finished off by talking about all of these people who had lived their life by faith and how we help make them complete or whole. We make them perfect. We... Because as they're carrying this on, we ourselves take the baton and we continue to run the race. This is all carrying on with the same idea of a race. Notice with me in Hebrews 12.1. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? Again in the context, these people who live by faith. These people who exercise faith. These people who had lived their life looking unto Jesus. And they had responded properly. And they delivered the faith to us. We talked a lot about the martyrs last week. How the people had given the word of God to us in blood. And they had done everything they could to deliver the blood or to give, her, give us this book. Even to their own death, they would pass this on. And so we have a huge responsibility to carry on with the work that they had. It goes on and gives this idea of a race. Um, seeing, wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So, here it gives several descriptions to help us to kind of describe what's going on here. Now, we had talked about last week that the people before were running a race. It's almost like a relay race. If you remember what a relay race, they would have someone who would run their lap, and as they would uh, come and finish off their circuit, they would be running alongside and they would pass the baton to the next person. And the next person would carry it, run their laps. And so we have these people that are running their laps. And as they're running their laps, we explained last week that if they ran the best they could, their laps, and they give it to our generation and we go, you know what, I'm going to go do something else and kind of do what we want. Is that what they gave us the baton for? No, they gave it for us to continue to run, not to let it drop, not to lose all the ground that we gained. So it's giving this description of a race. Notice as it talks some more, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Now, I know it doesn't look like it, but once upon a time, I, I was a distance runner. 
and I could do half marathons and I was skinny as tall as I am. I was about 160, 180 pounds. I kept joking that one day I'll get 200 pounds and they all laughed at me and said, there's no way. Of course, you know, I've kind of beat that by a hundred, but, um, but you know, I was skinny, but I was strong and I was made for those distance running. And as it talked about, let us lay aside every weight. When a runner runs the race, when he's running the actual race, he doesn't want anything bagging him down. He's not putting a backpack full of stuff. He doesn't have weights in his hand. Now, for to train for a race, I would often have weights. And so I'd run around the track wearing, uh, having dumbbells and be pumping them as I go on. But when I actually get to the race, I'm not having anything that's going to hold me down. I need to be as swift as a bird. I need to be able to fly. I don't know I have anything that would hold me back from running the race the best I could. And so here it's giving this description. If you can imagine racers, they're all lined up. They're ready to go. But you have the one guy who's loaded down. He's got weights on him and a backpack. Everything. It's Everyone looking at him thinking he's going to do a good job running? No, not aside. You have to set aside every weight. Set aside anything that would help you to run the race that you are running. What is this race that we're running, by the way? Notice as it gives some more. It, what is the weight we have is the sin which so easily beset us. We'll come back to that in a second. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. So we have a race here. And we're running a race that is based off of faith, looking unto Jesus. We're running this race and we need to set aside anything that would keep us from following after him. Now with that backdrop in, backdrop in mind, let's go to the first thing we want to describe from this chapter here, from this passage here, is that we need to set aside or that Christ is our goal. Christ is our our goal. What is the goal of the race that we're running? It's Christ. Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that we're running towards. He's the one that we're trying to please. He is the goal of the race. And so to win the race, to run the race that we have, we need to set aside anything that would keep us from looking unto Jesus. Let us lay aside any weight. <laughs> Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so e uh, doth so easily beset us. We know that in our life, what keeps us from following after Christ? Sin. Sin. So if you have a besetting sin in your life that you allow to dominate your life, well, there are going to be times that you choose to run after Christ, but there's going to be a lot of times that you choose to run after that sin. And it's going to keep you from running your course, from running your race. Could you imagine a runner who's on a track and he's got his lane that he's supposed to be in? But there up in the stands, there's the hot dog vendor. You know what? I know I'm in the middle of the race, but I'm going to go get that hot dog. And so he goes off and he's still running. He's still running hard. He gets the hot dog and then he gets back and he's trying to eat it and go back. Now, I'm not saying hot dogs are sin. I'm using an illustration. There are many times our goal is to follow after Christ. 
We're to look at him. But we see something that veers us off course. And instead of running after him, we're now running after something else. Sure, we may get back to the track, but we're not running the race that is set before us. We're getting off the track and, getting, and then we have to get back on the track and all the things that distract us. Here it's talking about the race that we have run, knowing that people have given their lives to give us the Bible, given their life to give us the faith that we have, to be able to pass it on to us. And yet we find ourselves so easily distracted, so easy to stumble. So many things that are in our path that don't have to be in our path. There are times that instead of running clear after Jesus, we're going after him, but we're so weighted down. The Bible says if we're going to run after him, set aside anything that would keep you from following after him. Set aside any distraction, put it away that would keep you from running after him. Why? Because Christ is the goal. He's the goal of the race. He is what we're running for. He is the one that we're trying to please. He is the one that we're trying to go. Notice again in verse number 12, as it talks about this race, wherefore seeing we're compassed about with such so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin with us easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, we know that all illustrations break down uh, the more that you examine them. So if you just have in mind just a circular race and you see yourself racing against another team, well, the illustration breaks down. The only race that you are supposed to run is not against anyone else. It's the race that you have for your own life. What do I mean by this? Every single one of us have different abilities and different opportunities. There's not a single one of us that have the same race. Our goal is the same. It's Jesus Christ. But not all of us have the same abilities and not all of us have the same opportunities. This is where we get shipwrecked because we think we're in a race against someone else and then our eyes start looking at someone else. That other guy over there, he's been saved the same length of time as I have. He's, he's been, um, this, went to the same school. I should be running right next to him. Why does he get better opportunities? Why does he do this? And what happens, we get our eyes off God and get them off someone else. And we wreck ourselves because we're watching someone else who's not even in our lane. Stay with the race that you have set before us. Not all of us have the same abilities. We all have different health things. Remember, I told you once upon a time ago, I was a runner. But then my back broke. For 20 years, I've dealt with back problems that have limited me and limited my abilities and my opportunities. The same things that um, I, were, I was able to do for the Lord when I was healthy not all the times in my life I have the same abilities. We run with patience the race that is set before us. So I can only run the race with the opportunities that God opens for me and the abilities that God has granted me. Every single one of us have different abilities and different opportunities. And I'm saying this because I'm trying to help you. You have a different race. You are not trying to beat me and I'm not trying to beat you. We're trying to get to Christ. 
He is the goal. When you get your eyes on someone else, you take your eyes off of Christ. You run the race that is set before you. The goal is Christ. Now with this, let me also point out something to you in verse 12. And let us run with patience the race that is set before you. The Christian life is a marathon, not a hundred yard dash. You are not trying to get there as fast as you can. You are supposed just to run the race that God has set before you. You know, we give this definition. Let's see how well you do today. The only job of a servant is to obey. If you answer the, the answer with serve, then you base your value to God off of your service. God bases our value to him off of our obedience. If there are times that God tells you to sit there, what is your job to do? Am I running the race that God has set before me when I'm sitting here when he told me to? Yes. Yes. Now, there are times he tells you to serve. When are you supposed to do? Serve. Your job is to be obedient to him. Let me give you an illustration of this. I was implying earlier that there were times where my back was healthy. I worked as an assistant to the pastor. And there were times that my pastor and I set goals where each of us would knock a thousand doors a week. And we would just hit at it. And praise the Lord that I had the health and strength and ability to do that at that time. But there's been times in my life, two times in my life, where because of my back was broke, I was placed in a hospital bed and told that I could not move at all or I would shift and break my spinal cord. And so I was told to sit there. When I was sitting there staring at the ceiling tiles, was I in as much in God's will as when I was healthy knocking doors? Yes, I was. Because God allowed me to have the back. He gave me the different abilities different ability than what I wanted. But that's what he gave me to do. And I needed to be satisfied in God's will at that time as I was when I was healthy doing something. Now, I'm not giving you permission to be lazy. I'm giving you, telling you that what we have is to do what God has given to us, to be obedient. That is the goal of the Christian life, looking unto Jesus, doing what he's told us to do. And we all have different abilities and different opportunities. We're to run our race that is set before us. It is not in competition with someone else. It is in competition between our own abilities and our own opportunities that God grants us. We run the race with patience, knowing that it's a marathon, not a 50-yard dash. I'm just supposed to do what God tells me to do. And then I do the next thing he tells me to do. Then I tell do the next thing. And if he tells me to wait here for a second, then I wait here. And then I run the race. I'm just looking unto Jesus. That's the goal. Looking unto Jesus. Doing what he has told me to. Expecting him to give me the ability and the opportunities that he wants me to have. And taking advantage of those. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's the race that we have. Now, that's a freeing thing. That's a clarifying thing that I'm just supposed to do what I'm supposed to do. Not looking at someone else and say, well, I can't do what pastors does. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to do what God has given you to do. Just do what you are supposed to do. And God will give you more opportunities, the more opportunities that you take in your life. You take advantage of them, God will give you more. Does that make sense? Run the race that is set before us. 
So with this, we start off by understanding that Christ is our goal. The second thing we also understand is that Christ is the God-man. Christ is the God-man. Remember who Christ is. He is God robed in flesh. When we use the word Jesus, it is referring to his humanity. Jesus was God robed in flesh. Notice in verse number two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus Christ paid the price for us. He died for us. And we can look up to him and we could trust him. To live the faith life, we're going to have to live the example of Christ. What is this, by the way? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, that's something we usually don't apply to the cross. When you look at the cross, and especially when you're looking at the historical cross, seeing someone dying on it, the first thing you look in your mind is like, man, they have joy. Why could it be said for the joy was set for him? Was it when he was sitting here, he had a big dumb smile on his face? No, he was in much pain. What is joy? It's a peace that passeth all understanding. It comes as the joy of the Lord is our strength as we're looking unto Jesus and looking unto God that we have a peace that doesn't make sense. Why could he have joy upon the cross? Because he was thinking of you and he was thinking of me. He was finishing it because he loved us so much. He died on the cross to give us salvation full, free, and forever. And he was content to do God's will. He was content to do what was necessary because he loved you. And so he could endure the cross with joy. You know, we have things in our side of our Christian life that you don't initially think of joy. But when you realize that God has put those things in our life, we can have a peace that doesn't make sense because I trust him. Because I trust him. Can? Jesus is our example here. Notice, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The cross was a shameful thing. And all the things that people did between his apostles denying him. Between the time that the soldiers gambled for him. They, the two thieves on the cross railing against him. The people on the ground saying, if you are the son of God, step down from the cross. You had a lot of despising. He had a false illegal trial that he was placed on. He had... A Roman governor who looked at him and said he is innocent, but still sentenced him to death because he feared the people more. There was a lot of shame. And yet, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, despising, or, <clears throat> um, despising the shame. The people were despising him and he was shamed. And he endured that with joy. Not a stupid smile on his face, a silly smile, but a peace saying, I'm following what God has given to do. He, what we're talking about here, he's our example. He's our example. With the joy that is set bef of, 
for you with the things that he's got. Can you endure those things with joy? Can you have a peace in trusting God that this is another opportunity? This is another thing that God has given you to do? Can you do it with joy saying, I trust God that God is always good and God is always right? For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are thee called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the firstborn of his son. We know that Jesus Christ died and put things in our path and that we understand that he's doing it to make us more like him. He's our example. He's our goal. He was in flesh. Remember, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. All the things that you would have felt, he felt. Do you think it hurt him when people betrayed him? Yes. When they were gambling for his clothes? Yes, that hurt. He felt those things. He felt physical pain. But for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross. Then sat down at the right hand of the Father. Oh, we can live the faith life because he led the way. He gave the example, which brings me to the last thing, Christ, our example. We go into a little bit more detail about this joy that was set before him. Look with me in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. Now, Christ is our example. We're talking about the race that is set before him, that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He's our example. So what example did he give us? What are we supposed to follow? Notice with me in 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and notice with me 21. 1 Peter 2, 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye shall follow his steps. So Christ is our example and he gave us a pattern to follow. That's what the word example means, a pattern to follow. So as he went through the cross, as he despised this, he gave us the pattern to follow when we go through hard times, when we are, have our faith tested. What is this pattern? What is it that he showed us? Verse 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. All right, so while he was on the cross, it said a couple important things. First of all, he didn't sin. Now, we usually, as human beings, because we're very understanding, we give people a pass to sin when they're hurting. Don't we? I mean, because, by the way, we hope people give us a pass. But Christ isn't giving us a pass. He didn't sin when he was on the cross. We, we could have very easily understood Jesus getting upset with people while he was up on the cross. After all, he's dying for them. And this is how they treat him. But he did no sin. When we have trials and hardships in our life, if we're going to follow, follow the pattern of Christ, that do no sin. Don't use this as an excuse to sin because others will understand. Just because you're hurting doesn't mean you have to be grumpy about it. Notice this, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. The word guile is from the family of sin. And it carries the idea of telling the truth 
in, but leaving something out in such a way that makes me look better or looks, makes someone else look worse. Now, we've all done that. So you remember the time that you got in trouble and you had to go speak to your parents, the boss, the principal. And before you went to the meeting, you played out the conversation. How do I say this? How do I... I'm still telling the truth. I'm telling what happened. But maybe I'll leave this detail out. Or maybe I'll exaggerate or emphasize this detail. So I don't look so bad. Or they look worse. We've all done that. That's called guile, by the way. People say, but I'm telling the truth. No, no, no. It's guile. Telling the truth in such a way to make you look better or someone else look worse. God says... Just because you're hurting, just because you're in a great trial, does not give you permission to lie. Don't exaggerate. Don't emphasize what doesn't need to be emphasized. Own up to it if you were in trouble. You know, half the trials that we go through of our own making, we open up our mouth and... Now we made someone mad, upset, we offended someone, we shouldn't have said something the way. Uh, we get our own selves in trouble. We respond horribly when we're hurting and now other people are hurting around us. Jesus is our example. He guarded his tongue. In fact, a uh, different message later on, the book of Isaiah gives a prophecy of Jesus dying on the cross and it talks about having the tongue of the learned. That's an amazing thing. The tongue of the learned. But there are seven sayings that Jesus said while he was on the cross. All seven of those sayings are important because they give us an example of Jesus Christ. He cared for his mother. He cared for the souls around him. You can look up the seven. I'm not going to go through them now. But we see that here... If anybody had the right or that we would be understanding to be grumpy while they're up on the cross, that would be Jesus. But yet he had the tongue of the learned. Even when he is hurting, he is not looking at himself in his pain and his hardship, but he's caring about others. This is the example that Christ has given to us. That he even guarded his mouth. Notice 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. Who was reviling him? Everybody. The two thieves on the cross were making fun of him. Until finally one thief said, you know what? Maybe he is the son of God. And he changed his tune. Jesus, when the guy said, Jesus, when you die, can you take me with you? And Jesus told him he'd be in paradise. He could have just said, hey, just a second ago, you were telling me when I was a scumbag. Forget you. Isn't that how we would have responded? We have burned that bridge. Forget you, man. But that's not how Jesus responded. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. Again, all of us are in the boat. How many of you know that you were hurting? Hurting people hurt people. You hurt people when you were in pain, whether it was physical pain, whether it was mental pain, spiritual pain. And we were looking for a reason to lash out. Have you ever met someone? Maybe you were that person that were hurting so bad. You were waiting for someone to mess up. You were looking for that opportunity. You were anticipating them messing up. Oh, they did it now. Let me. Yep. 
That's reviling again. That's looking for an opportunity to take it out. Jesus, our example, he's on the cross. And he didn't revile again. We could have understood if he started yelling at people, but he didn't. He used his words wisely. Just because he was hurting, he didn't have to be grumpy about it. But when he suffered, he threatened not. You know, most of us, if we'd be honest, we'd be up on the cross. You just wait. God's going to get you. You're going to split hell wide open. Sounds like the way we would speak. Looking for that. He didn't threaten them. Again, most of us have been pain and hurting that we look back and say, you know what? I've failed in all of these points. But Jesus, our example, he's telling us this is how to respond during those times. But committed himself to him that judgeth rightly. He says, God, I trust you to deal with them. I know that they're not being reasonable to me right now when I'm hurting. You deal with them. I could trust you to take care of them. You to work in their lives. I don't have to deal with them. I don't have to fix them. I don't have to correct their behavior. You take care of that God. I can trust God. Verse 24, who for his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Christ died on the cross for us. He paid our price so we can live unto righteousness. Christ is our example. So, Through this whole series, we've described faith quite a bit in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. Now we get to the definition. What is the definition of faith? Looking unto Jesus. And we can look unto Jesus for everything. We can look unto Jesus how to live our life. We can look to Jesus how to live our life even when there's pain and there's suffering. When hard times hit us, how are we supposed to live? He is our example. He's our pattern to follow. Knowing that he was human and God. And he felt everything we would have felt. And yet, he gave us the pattern to follow. This is why the humanity of Christ is an important study. Because he doesn't give us permission. We can't say, well, he was God. He doesn't know. He did know. He did know. He felt pain as real as you felt pain. He felt betrayal just as real as you would have felt betrayal. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. 
we would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.